Join me in prayer. Father, in these times, so much wants to crowd in and cloud our vision. Fear, uncertainty, disappointment, frustration, anger. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep your Son, Jesus Christ, front and center in our vision and that the brightness of his glory and his goodness and his grace would fill our vision and give us hope. We thank you that you delight in glorifying your Son and that you want to answer that. Pray that your Spirit would use these moments that we share together to accomplish that in our hearts and minds. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, these are sobering times, crazy days that make some of us do crazy things. On Friday, kind of a momentary uh, lapse of insanity, brought on, I think, by the stresses of social distancing. My wife and I went out and did something spontaneous. We did this. Yes, we bought a dog. That's right. Isn't she cute? Our last dog was called Pinecone. I think we're going to call this one Sugarcone. And she is sweet. We're enjoying her a lot. Well, I want to make a couple general observations, a couple general comments about this sermon series, Conversations. First of all, some of you might actually like social distancing, but for the rest of us, for most of us, this whole social distancing thing is just highlighting how essential, how indispensable, how vital, how important interpersonal communication is. God made us for relationship, and conversations is how that, those relationships kind of move along. And what's amazing to me is that God wants to talk with us, and he wants us to talk with him, and that he's gone through great lengths to keep the conversation going. He's spoken through the prophets. He's recorded it in his word. He's preserved his word. But the most amazing thing of all is that he wanted so much to communicate with us that he sent his own son who incarnated himself into our world so he could talk to us face to face. And you know, that was going to cost him something. But he, he didn't allow the pain and suffering and the death that was going to result from that to cause him to keep social distance from us. And I'm so thankful for that. It fills my heart with gratitude. It makes me just want to listen to him It makes me want to keep the conversation going with him and with others in the same way that he sacrificially has kept the conversation going with us. The second thing I want to say about this series is that not all of Jesus' conversations ended well according to how we evaluate and measure things. In fact, the conversation that we talked about last Sunday in John 6, at the end of it, It says that most of those who were calling themselves Christ's disciples left him. John wrote this, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Evidently, uh, Jesus' measure of success wasn't uh, quantity. He, He was looking for followers who would be committed to continuing his mission of communicating God's love in truth, no matter what it costs. And now, as Jesus heads towards Jerusalem for the final time, his conversations become harder, more challenging, more difficult. There's more conflict. 
They're more confrontative. But he doesn't run away from those. Uh, he, he is going to speak the truth in love, even if people don't want to hear it. Now, most of us don't really like conflict. I know I don't. I don't love uh, confrontation. In fact, I remember years ago when I was co-leading an adult Bible fellowship here in this church, and the co-leaders uh, came up with a nickname for me. They called me Teflon Kip because nothing seemed to stick to me because I just had this way of, of being diplomatic with everything. And so one of the other leaders took it on as a mission to drag me into every conflict conversation uh, and confronting people as he could to kind of teach me how to have truth talks, truth talks. I remember even in our marriage, in our family years ago, we had a phase where we, we would use that term, Let's, we need to have a truth talk. The way we talk about it now, you that 10% discussion. You know, most of the time, 90% of the time, you know, we're agreeable and we're complimenting and we're gracious and... and but sometimes there's that 10% of the time when we need to be able to talk honestly about things and confront things and really work through things. And so we ask, hey, um, can I ask a 10% question? Can we have a 10% conversation? We need those truth talks. And what we're going to do this morning is jump right into the middle of one of Jesus' truth talks with the Jewish people. And uh, we're jumping right into a conversation that's been going on and Jesus is talking about his identity and his authority, and we're going to take a look at John chapter 8. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 8, and we're jumping right into the middle, verse 31. John 8, verse 31. Now take a look at the people Jesus is talking to here. We read in verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him. Well, that's encouraging, right? They believed. That, that's a good thing, right? Well, yes, but not everything is what it appears to be. And not uh, because someone thinks or says that they believe in Jesus doesn't mean that they actually do. These uh, folks assumed that they were good with God, that they were okay, because they were card-carrying Jews. And they had uh, Abraham as uh, their father. They were descendants of Abraham. They were disciples of Moses and they had received the covenants. And so they thought, hey, we're good. They, they even liked Jesus too. Yeah, Jesus, that's cool. We'll add him on too. But he's not necessarily absolutely necessary. And Jesus wanted to challenge those assumptions. He wanted to challenge those assumptions, not because he was mean. He didn't want to be mean. But because he loved them. Jesus loved them. And he didn't want them to be self-deceived, thinking that they were okay when they really weren't. He wanted their faith to be real and genuine, rooted in the truth, which was himself. So you think you're okay. Well, just because of your ancestry, that doesn't mean that it's so. So we dive in here, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What does it mean to hold to Jesus' teaching? That verb, it means to continue in, to stand firm in, to remain in. It's the same word Jesus used later when he tells his disciples that they are to abide in him. To hold to Jesus' teaching means to live in his word. To live in his word. 
That's more than just uh, intellectual assent. It's more than appreciating his word. It's more than even believing that it's true. To hold to Jesus' teaching is a determined resolve to live out in daily life the full scope of Jesus' teaching. Jesus had incarnated himself into the world in order to reveal God's truth to us. And those who are his followers, they will allow his truth to be incarnated through them by following and obeying Jesus. Jesus is looking for more than nice, pleasant, polite people. He's looking for followers who will give their lives, demonstrating the radical love of God for people that Jesus demonstrated. And guess what? We live in unprecedented times, and we have unprecedented opportunities to do just that. Our theme uh, during this phase of the year is still uh, um, break the ice. Break the ice with your neighbors. And now you've got an awesome kind of motivation and opportunity to do that, to kind of call up your neighbors and say, hey, how are you doing? Uh, Is there anything I can bring you? Is there anything I can do for you? How's it going during this time? And that wouldn't seem strange at all. So you've been looking for a good reason or excuse, you have it, to check in on your neighbors. And if you want some other ideas on how to demonstrate the love of God, hey, uh, go to our website, and if you click on that banner, you'll see some tabs. One will be being the best neighbor with tips and ideas for how we can be good neighbors during this time. There's also one uh, called uh, Care and Prayer, and there's a tab in there where you can offer uh, help in different kinds of ways. And so during this time, we have the opportunity to demonstrate the reality of Christ's word in us as we choose to love our neighbors well. Jesus said those who hold to his teaching in this kind of a way, really living it out, incarnating it, living in his word and incarnating it, they will know the truth. Of course, Jesus himself is the truth. So he's not talking about another list of rules like the Mosaic Law. The Jews thought that freedom came from studying Mosaic law. But Jesus says, the law of Moses points to me, and I fulfill the law of Moses. To know the truth is to know Jesus Christ himself. True freedom comes through a committed personal relationship with Jesus. Of course, this freedom that Jesus is offering isn't like the freedom of this world. In the world, the freedom says uh, that the world says that freedom is just the ability, the right to do whatever you want. We were talking about that in the previous sermon series as the liberation of the individual's will. That's the highest good in our world. That's freedom to be able to do whatever you feel like or want or desire to do. It's not the kind of freedom Jesus is talking about. Instead, Jesus says that freedom begins with submitting yourself completely to me. And in doing that, you will receive the power to do what is right, to do what is good, to do what is loving, to do what reflects God in this world. Sounds good, but the Jews completely missed the point because they got kind of distracted and um, defensive about his terminology, talking about freedom and slaves. And so this is how they respond in verse 33. They answered him, 
We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? On the face of it, this is a bit humorous because um, the Jewish people had, in fact, on several occasions, I mean, they had been slaves in Egypt, and then much later they were taken captive by uh, first Assyria and then Babylon, and then they were subject to the, the Persian Empire, and then the Greeks came along, they had a little bit of freedom, and even now, these people who are saying to Jesus, hey, we've never been slaves, we're free, they were under the authority, the thumb of Rome. But they weren't talking about talking about their, their heredity. They were talking about their family ancestry. They were talking about spiritual freedom. Kinship, kind of family relationships, was and is a really huge deal in the near Middle East. In fact, in all of the ancient world, people were known, first of all, by their father's kind of reputation. It all, be, it all began with your father's reputation, your family reputation. Your, it wasn't your merit. You didn't begin with your merit. You began with the merit of your family, your father's. You think about even in Hebrew, uh, it's the son of. I, I wouldn't be called Kip. I would be called the son of George. And so it's my father's reputation who would really define me. Um, everything that determined who you are and what your future held was tied to your heritage. And so it was a big deal, uh, the family line. It was huge. It's still true today in a lot of the world, certainly in the East. It's the same truth today. Ravi Zacharias uh, tells a story about when he and his, his wife, who's from the West, she's from America, uh, when they first went back to India, his wife discovered how important family is and they had a, a reception for them where he was going to speak. And he writes, The very long and formal introduction I was given was filled with superlatives. Yet in its entirety, absolutely nothing was said about me. Instead, it was a lavish description of my father's credentials and accomplishments. Then the last line was tagged on. And this is his son who is to speak to us. The importance of lineage of the father, it's still that way in a lot of the world. Now, we don't, we don't think uh, as much this way, uh, but, but the Jews that were talking to Jesus said, hey, we do not need to be set free. Don't talk to us about being set free. Abraham is our father. We're the descendant of Abraham. We've received all the covenant promises. Uh, we're the guardians of the Mosaic law. David is our forefather, and so we are free people. In fact, we have we have kind of privileged status with God because we're his chosen people. And uh, so don't talk to us about freedom. We're just, uh, we don't really think this way about fathers and ancestry and heritage and lineage and all of that. And yet there's a similar dynamic that goes on where we think we're okay, that uh, we can kind of uh, treat Jesus like an add-on instead of the absolutely essential foundation of our faith. I read a story this week. This took place a few years ago, and a guy was graduating from seminary. I think it was in Georgia. And one of his peers, who was a friend, was going off to a part of the world to serve where there were very few Christians, and it was very hard. And he started feeling guilty about the fact that he was staying there. He had taken a church in Georgia, and here his his buddy was going off to a really hard place to minister, 
and he was just staying there in the Bible Belt. And so finally he confessed to his friends, you know, I just feel, I kind of feel guilty, I feel bad. You know, you're heading off to a hard part of the world and I'm just staying here in the Bible Belt. And his friends said to him, listen, it's not that way at all. Where I'm going, you're either a Christian or you're not. It's really, really clear. But this is what he said to him about ministering in the Bible Belt. In the Bible Belt, many people think they're Christians but have no concept of the severity of sin the necessity of repentance, the message of grace, or the overall message of the gospel. They think they're just fine with God, and God is fine with them because they aren't atheists and have been to church before as a kid. They believe in God, but do not believe their sin has done anything to separate them from him or cause them to need the Jesus they claim to believe in. Cultural Christianity admires Jesus, but doesn't think he's necessary. That's exactly the same mentality that the Jews had that were talking to Jesus. Hey, we like you, Jesus. We believe in you, but we don't think you're actually necessary. We're really relying on Abraham and Moses, our forefathers. Well, Jesus is going to burst all those bubbles very quickly. This is what he says, verse 34. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is saying to them, you are not who you think you are. You are not free children of Abraham. What you really are is slaves to sin. You're not on the inside, you're on the outside. And you need someone on the inside the true son of the family, the true son of the father, to set you free so that you can join the family and be a part. Of course, Jesus is pointing to himself in all of this. This is the wonderful thing about Jesus, is that he has the power to liberate us from the sin that enslaves us. And not only has he taken upon himself the he died on the cross for our sins. But when we put our faith in him, he forgives us our sins and gives us himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that is power. Power to overcome the power of sin. Power to overcome the, the ongoing temptation of sin that wants to control us, that wants to keep us in slavery. Jesus says, you know what? Abraham and Moses aren't going to help you out with that. What you need is the Son. The Son will set you free, and then you will be free indeed. I think we need to be sober about that, and we need to help each other with it. Um, it's interesting to me. I, th I think that, that this whole work of the Holy Spirit in setting us free from slavery to sin, that sanctification is making us more and more holy, more and more like Jesus, that it's not to be done in isolation from each other. We need each other. We need each other for this work that the Son wants to do in our lives. And um, what the, what the cor uh, coronavirus uh, is doing to us physically, that is isolating from us, I think Satan all along has been trying to do to us spiritually, isolating us from each other spiritually. But I think we have to fight it. We have to fight it and be willing 
uh, to have safe relationships and in the church where we can help each other in growing in following the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, hearing the Spirit, and being uh, freed from slavery to sin. Mary uh, is at home now all the time. She doesn't go to uh, Goshen for work. And you know what? When Mary's present, I'm a better person. I'm just going to admit it. And uh, we need each other to live in the freedom that is a gift from Jesus. Well, the Jews, they were still stuck on their ancestry, their heritage, their legacy. And Jesus is now really going to push this. He's going to push the idea that who you belong to is demonstrated by how you behave. It's, it's, not, it's not on your chart, on your family tree, that shows who you belong to. It's, it's how you behave. One's true origin is revealed by one's conduct. Conduct reveals origin. This is what he says. Verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God of your own father. Jesus acknowledges, yeah, you may be physical descendants of Abraham, but you are not spiritual descendants of Abraham because you don't act like Abraham. Back in Genesis, when God uh, sent messengers to Abraham with a message, he received them with respect. He honored them. He listened to them. He believed their message. But that is not at all how Abraham's descendants are treating Jesus. They are not respecting him and honoring him and listening to him and believing him. In fact, they're trying to kill him. Here's where the conversation starts to get really intense. They respond to Jesus, We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. We know who our dad is. We don't know who yours is. They were mocking and taunting Jesus because there was mystery around who his father was. And there was an accusation that he was illegitimate. We don't know who your dad is. But we know who our Father is, and he is God. Again, Jesus is going to emphasize who your Father is. That is revealed by how you behave, by your conduct, by your choices, by your life. And he's going to say that God cannot be your Father if you treat me the way you've been treating me. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. To know the father is to love the son because they are the same. Their heart, their mind, their words are the same. John would later write in an epistle, Everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. The fact that these Jews did not receive Jesus as the Son of God shows that they didn't actually know his Father. Otherwise, they would have recognized him. Jesus continues, verse 43, Why is my language not clear to you? 
because you are unable to hear what I say. The problem wasn't with Christ's words, wasn't with his message. The problem wasn't with the ears of the hearers. The problem was with their hearts and with their minds. They had already made up their mind about him, that they didn't need him, that he wasn't necessary. And so they could not understand what he was saying. They didn't really love his father, and so they couldn't understand what Jesus was trying to communicate. And now Jesus is going to, what my mother used to say, lower the boom. Verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Your conduct towards me reveals who your father really is. Your father is the devil. You want to kill me. And the reason you want to kill me is because your father is the devil and he's been a murderer from the very beginning. You do not believe what I'm saying. You don't believe the truth. You can't stomach the truth. You can't hear the truth. That's because your father is the devil. And he's a liar. And he can't stomach the truth. Jesus finishes this part of the conversation this way. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Those who belong to the Father, who know the Father, who love the Father, will listen to Jesus. They will hear what he is saying. They will believe it. They will love it. They will obey it. They will follow it. They will live in his word. Your conduct reveals your origin. Before the end of this conversation, the Jews are going to call Jesus demon-possessed, and they're going to pick up stones ready to kill him. What does this conversation tell us about Jesus? Jesus makes some incredibly astounding claims in this short dialogue. He claims that he is the personal incarnate revelation of truth. He claims that he is the sinless son of God who has the power to set us free from sin. And he is calling us beyond cultural Christianity, beyond putting our hope and our confidence in secondary things, beyond just having him as an add-on in our life to complete submission of our lives to him. Only as we do that will we be truly free. What this conversation tells us is that Jesus is committed to telling the truth to us. I don't know about you, but when I look back at my life, at the people who have most impacted my life, they're the people who have told me the truth. The truth about God, the truth about Jesus, the truth about me. And it wasn't always easy or fun to hear, but it made a difference. And they were willing to tell me the truth because they loved me. Jesus is committed to telling us the truth about ourselves because he loves us, even if it offends and hurts us. The question is, will we listen? 
What does this conversation tell us about ourselves, about us? Is it possible that we take the gospel and sin in Jesus too lightly? Look at how we are responding to this um, coronavirus with drastic, extreme measures. Just think, if we took the same drastic actions in response to sin that we do in response to the coronavirus, what would that look like? If we, if we put into um, action the kind of measures to protect our heart and mind from sin, that we put into action to protect our bodies from a virus, what difference would that make? What difference would it make if I started confessing my sin as often as I'm taking vitamin C right now? What difference would it make in my life if I started calling on the help of the Holy Spirit as often as I've been washing my hands lately? I think that would radically change my life. And what it kind of shows me here is that maybe I take Jesus and sin and the gospel a little bit too lightly. And, and that, that I need to take it more seriously and to be willing to take drastic measures in order to protect my heart and my mind from lies and from sin and to, and to do the work of allowing the Spirit to, uh, to change and to transform my heart from the inside out. Sometimes I think I put my hope in my lineage in secondary things, just like those Jews, that Jesus is kind of an add-on, that really maybe I'm putting my hope in my family line. You know, as far back as I can go on my dad's side, it's all pastors and ministers. And just had the memorial service for my mom uh, uh, not just a couple weeks ago, and her life was an amazing life. And my brothers and sisters and family, and I think, wow, I, I have a great Christian family and I was blessed with a great Christian education, and I'm part of a great Christian church, and I've even been involved in cross-cultural ministry over the years, and those things are all wonderful and good. But that's not what saves me. In fact, I can sometimes begin to live off those fumes, but that's all it is. It's fumes. What I really need what I need to pursue is a vibrant, living, active faith in Jesus Christ where, where I'm living in his word and allowing his spirit to be working daily in my life. Is that, is that my faith? That's taking it seriously. What does this conversation tell us about what Jesus wants for us? What does Jesus want for us? What do we hear of Jesus' heart in this conversation? Well, he wants more than nice people who are self-deceived. He wants us to know the wide open expanses of his freedom that only come as we're willing to submit ourselves fully to him. What does this conversation teach us about conversing with others? Well, we need to be willing to pursue truth talks. And we need to be willing to start with ourselves. We need to have a truth talk with our own hearts and ask the question, what do my priorities, my life choices, my behaviors reveal about who I really belong to, about who my Father really is? 
What, what do my choices, my priorities, my, what does my life really reveal? What does my conduct really reveal about who my father is? Really? That's a tough conversation. Let's begin to have that truth talk with our own hearts. But you know what? We need to be willing to have that truth talk with each other, especially in the body of Christ, to encourage each other, even in these days where we may have more time for it. Actually, um, I think with all of our digital communication, uh, there's a ton of interpersonal communication going on. And maybe this is a good time to begin to challenge each other, not because we got it together, not because we're not, we don't have our own struggles with sin, but because we want to help each other to hold on to Jesus with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Will we be willing to ask questions like this? <clears throat> How are you doing spiritually, really? What are you learning about Jesus during this time? What is the Holy Spirit calling you to do? Will we have truth talks with each other? that help us to hold on to Jesus. God is a God who wants conversation. He's a God who talks, wants us to talk to him. And he's willing to tell us the truth. The question really is, are we willing to listen? Are we willing to listen? 